Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. celebration hope you guys are having a great day i just wanted to say hello to you guys i'm out of the country uh this weekend and for the next week i'm actually at our church in zimbabwe celebration zimbabwe uh so much is going on over there and i just want to thank you guys for your giving for your heart for the house uh giving that's helping to feed kids over there that's helping expand the church in zimbabwe i'm actually over there because they're opening a brand new building at one of their locations. You know, we have about 16 locations uh, that reach about 2,500 people on the weekend. And uh, through those locations during the week, we also feed uh, about 25,000 kids Monday through Friday. So uh, I'm looking forward to to seeing everything and getting updates uh, from over there. But I just wanted to say hello to you guys and uh, get ready for the big serve day coming up in a couple of weeks. It's going to be amazing. So God bless, and I'll see you soon. David was born the youngest of eight sons. He tended his father's field and shocked his family when he was anointed to become king before all his brothers. David made a name for himself when he slayed a giant named Goliath, bringing victory to the Israelites. David later reigned as king of Israel for 40 years. Come on, church. How are we doing this morning? Everybody doing well? Hey, can you keep your hands together? And can we give it up for anybody tuning in online? Any first-time guests? Can we give it up for anyone who's here for the first time? Maybe you're online. If you are here for the first time, I I just want to say this. Uh, On behalf of our team, our prayer for you is really simple. Uh, We pray that we don't know, you know, we don't know how you walked in. We don't know what you walked in with. But our prayer is that you just leave better. I don't know how you came, but I do know this, that the power of God and the presence of Jesus can change how you leave. So no matter what we walked in with, we can all leave different. And it's such an honor you would uh, take time out of your weekend to spend uh, your your Sunday with Celebration Church. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Layton. um, And like Pastor Matt said earlier, my my wife and I, who's here in the front row, can you wave everybody, Hannah? Outkicked my coverage if you can see her. Uh, We're the pastors at our newest location, launching this fall in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Hot Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Really hot, crazy people, and I love it. I wanna give you a few updates on Fort Lauderdale. Uh, My wife and I, we moved down the end of last year, and we've been there about six months, six and a half months. And, And right when we got to Fort Lauderdale, we noticed that there is an incredible, incredible opportunity we have in South Florida. A little statistics that you need to hear. Uh, Fort Lauderdale, the Broward County area, uh, 97% of the population is considered unchurched. 97%. So what that looks like is one in every 33 people have a home, that they, they they have a church home. But the other 32 don't have a church home. And how amazing is that gonna be, that celebration is gonna be a church for the unchurched people and the opportunity that we have. But what I also know is with great opportunity comes great opposition. Great opportunity produces great opposition and it hasn't been easy. 
This process has been really, really hard. Some of these oppositions that we faced, when we moved down there, we went through the venue search. And we had 350 no's before we had one yes. Over five months. Just people are like, oh, you're a church? See you later. Deuces. I don't want to work with you. Just opposition after opposition after opposition. But the favor within the opposition has been incredible. Uh, After 350 no's with our church venue, we had zero people who said, I want to sign up to be a part, to work with Celebration Church. I want to partner with you guys. No one was working that. We went to the school that we reached out to first that gave us four no's. They gave us four no's and I'm still knocking on their door. Hey, excuse me, guys, I'm the pest control coming to talk to you again. Will you please partner with us? And in our fifth attempt, they said yes. And I'm gonna show you the venue in a little bit. Some of the other things that we've seen, incredible opportunity. Uh, We started our interest meetings three months ago and our first interest meeting for the church, just a once a month interest meeting, had 55 people. That's incredible. But better news, two gatherings later, we had 119 and we had to get kicked out of our venue because it was too too many people. That's not a church service. That's just people showing up at a coffee shop saying, I don't have a church. Do you have something I can be a part of? And I actually want to show you some footage of what the high school looks like. It's an incredible venue and right in the heart of the city where there's surrounding areas. The the neighborhood to the left is the biggest homosexual population in all of the nation. The the neighborhood to the the right, to the west, is the most impoverished area in all of Broward County. The, The neighborhood north is the most wealthy. So think about the diversity of what we're gonna get to reach. And here's gonna be our venue, Fort Lauderdale High School in the middle of the city. Give it up for God for that. 755 seats in the auditorium, but better news, Pastor Stovall loves this. There's 600 parking spots. And the preacher said, hey, we don't ever have parking issues. It's gonna be so amazing. And all of this is possible. What you need to know, all of this is possible is because of your giving. Like we didn't do this on our own. It takes the whole church and especially, it takes, it, it takes people in Jacksonville who are never, 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 never meet the 97% of the population in Fort Lauderdale who don't have a church home to find a church home. And you are a part of this process. You may never see the results on this side of heaven, but I promise you the treasure you have in heaven and investing in the Heart for the House initiative and your giving is gonna reach thousands and thousands of people who do not know Jesus and do not have a life-giving community. And I just wanna thank you for that and just say we love you guys. If you've yet to jump in these Heart for the House initiatives, you still have time. We're still gonna keep reaching people. We're still gonna keep launching locations. We're still gonna do everything we can to make sure every person on this earth has an opportunity to meet Jesus and all of us are a part of it. And I just wanna thank you for that. And this whole process of going to Fort Lauderdale has done uh, many things for me. I cry a lot. Uh, My wife can tell you uh, my life is like a lifetime movie, just crying a lot. But another thing, is it's given me so much more respect and reverence for our pastor. So our launch team has 73 people right now, which is a pretty good launch team. And I still think we have so many gaps and we need more people. 
Um, 18 years ago, 19 years ago, we had seven people move from Baton Rouge to Jacksonville to start Celebration Church, and this is what we have now. Look at this. And what all of us have to know is we're reaping seeds that we did not sow. This is from sacrifice long, long ago, and we get to be a part of it. And I just want to, can we give it up for our senior pastors, Pastor Stovall, Pastor Kerry. Today, I have an incredible opportunity to talk about uh, King David from the Bible that you see in the Old Testament. If you have your, your Bible, turn with me to 1 Samuel, chap, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16 is where we'll start. And when you get there, we're going to do a little old school, uh, say, go Jacks. Oh, no one believes in the Jacks here. Okay. I guess I'm here to stir your faith for this season. First Samuel chapter 16. We're actually going to start in verse four. Verse four. It says, Samuel did what the Lord said. God has just told Samuel, hey, Samuel, I'm done with Saul. The previous king that I have, I'm done with him. I'm through with him. I need you to go to Bethlehem and you're gonna find a guy named Jesse and one of Jesse's sons will be my king. So, so Samuel went to Bethlehem and when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. He was a prophet. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, this is the guy. Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Tim Tebow is in my presence. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward, but God looks at the heart. Then Jesse called his next son, Abinadab, I call him Dab, and had him pass in front of Samuel. And from verse eight to verse 11, Jesse put six more sons in front of Samuel. And all of them were rejected. None of these sons were the anointed king. And in verse 11, Jesse is asked by Samuel, are there any more sons? Like, God told me your kids, your son, would be the next king. Where is everyone at? Is there any more? And he said, yeah, we got one more. Um, he's, he's with the sheep, though. Like, you want him? David? Send for him, Samuel said. Go get him. Like, it's going to be one of your sons. Send for him, and we won't sit until he arrives. Verse 12, it says, so he sent for him, and they had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. The second verse that I want to look at, you don't have to flip there. You can just see it on the screen, the Bible in the sky behind my head. Second Samuel chapter five, David is anointed as king in first Samuel 16, 17 years old, 20 chapters later, second Samuel chapter five says, when the elders of Israel had come to the king, King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with him at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king of Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 40 years. In Hebron, not in Israel, in Hebron, he reigned for seven years and six months. And the promise he received in 1 Samuel 16, you see here in 2 
Samuel chapter 5, at the age of 37, in Jerusalem, he finally got the kingdom and he reigned for 33 years. This morning, I want to talk to you about the story of David between 1 Samuel 16 of receiving a promise to 2 Samuel chapter 5, conceiving the, the promise. And there's this thought that I think we all need to talk about, and I've entitled the, the message for this morning is the process of the promise. The, the process of the promise. If you would, would you pray with me? Lord, we love you. God, I thank you for who you are, for you are good, you're great, you are faithful when we're unfaithful. God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for what you're doing this morning in a 930 service. And God, I just pray you speak to every single person's heart. You do what only you can do. You open blind eyes. You remove scales. You open the, the eyes of our heart to see who you really are. And God, right now, I just pray with a lot of faith that the Jags will have at least a 500 season. No more weeping in Jesus' name, amen. Any Jags fans in here receive that? Just because I moved to South Florida does not mean I can cheer for the Dolphins. This is still my second team, so I will never cheer for the Dolphins. David is this unbelievable character that we read in the Bible. We, we love all the stories about David. A little facts about David. Some of you, uh, just to kind of catch you up, David is known in many terms and in many ways as the king of Israel. David is the king of Israel. Some people know David as the, the man, the young boy who slayed Goliath with the sling and the stone. Others will know David as the commander of the army in Israel. The Bible says Saul slayed his thousands, David his ten thousands. You may see that David is an adulterer later on in the story. He's a murderer. David wrote majority of the Psalms that we read in scripture. David is actually a part of the bloodline and lineage of Jesus. King David leads to Jesus. But here in 1 Samuel 16, when David shows up on the scene in the Bible, David isn't seen as a king or a commander of the army. David is seen as an unlikely son. And Samuel is just told, go to Jesse, Jesse's son. One of his sons is gonna be your king. So Jesse and Samuel get together and they coordinate a party. They go to Target, they go to Party City. They get a party together. They say, one of these sons is gonna be the next king. But Jesse has a problem. He still has sheep to tend. So one of the sons has to, attend, has to tend to the sheep, while the other sons, the most likely sons, are lined up in front of Samuel. So Samuel has these sons lined up, and David's not there. David is sent to tend the sheep because he's unlikely. And Samuel starts to go through all the sons, and he says, well, Eliab's not the one, and, and Abinadab is not the one, and this one isn't the one, and this one isn't the one, and none of them are the guys. And David is tending sheep. And Samuel says, go send for the other son. He has to be the guy. So David is sent and he's anointed king in front of his brothers. And what I love about this story is how the process of these guys, these men, even these men of God went about searching a new king. So what you need to know about this is Eliab, the oldest son, was the most likely candidate, was the LeBron James of the family. <laughs> Eliab, what scholars say, Eliab was put in front of Samuel first, and Samuel even looked at him and said, this has got to be him. And God said, no, I don't look at things the way you look at things. I don't look at likely things. I look at unlikely things. And what you need to know about the likely thing is the reason Eliab was put in front of Samuel is Eliab was the son that most reflected Saul, the previous king. He looked like the old king. So Samuel and Jesse thought, if you want a new king, I got to give you what you already have. 
But there's great news. God doesn't want another version of what he already has. When he was searching for a new king, he wasn't looking for a new Saul. He was looking for a new David. And it's great news for you and I that God, when God wants to call us to do things, he's not asking us to be a previous version of anyone else. You know what God doesn't need in this world? God does not need another Hillsong United as great as they are because he has one. God doesn't need another Pastor Stovall in this world because he has one. You are the only you that will live. And what I'm here to tell you is when God comes searching to do an unlikely thing in an unlikely area, he's gonna use an unlikely person. He tells Samuel, I don't do things the way that you do things. I don't look at it the way that you look at it. You presented Eliab because he looks like the way it used to look. I'm doing a new thing. I need a new person. And it's the same with you and I. God's gonna do a new thing in this world. He's gonna do an uncommon thing in this world. And he's often and always gonna use an uncommon and unlikely person. And David fit this mold. But in David's life, 1 Samuel 16, I love this thought. 1 Samuel 16, he receives the promise, age 17. Can you imagine his ego at 17? Hey, you're gonna be the king of Israel. The prom king of the world right here. Walk around like, you know, yeah, you, you know what I'm saying. His ego is out of this world. And in 1 Samuel 16, he receives the promise of becoming king. But as we read earlier, he doesn't get the kingdom right after it. There's a gap. There's a big gap between 1 Samuel 16 and 2 Samuel chapter 5. There's 20 years between when he was anointed and appointed. There was a gap between the promise and the payoff. And this morning I wanna talk to you about what does it look like in between the promise and the payoff. Because all of us are receiving promises and all of us are getting promises, but I'm here to tell you most promises don't happen overnight. Most of the time there's a gap between the promise and the payoff. And in David's life, what you see here, and this is what it has to look like in our life, if we wanna reach the promise, we have to follow these things that David did. Because David received the promise, and he received the payoff, but there was a huge gap and a lot of steps that he took. The first thing that you see in David's life between the promise and the payoff was unyielding faithfulness. Unyielding faithfulness. His story actually begins with a story of unyielding faithfulness. Think about it. Jesse says, one of my sons is going to be the king. And he asked David to go tend the sheep. No one wants to go hang out with a sheep at this moment when there's a party going on. And David says, this is my task. This is my lot. I'm going to do what I have to do. I'm going to be faithful with what is asked of me. So he goes to tend the sheep. And in this room, the anointing is about to happen for the previous king. And David's just hanging out with the sheep. He's not scrolling through Instagram, wondering who's going to be the next king. He's not throwing a pity party. He's not playing the comparison game. He's doing his job. He's manning his field. He's staying in his lane. And guess what? When God wanted to find a king, guess where he went to find David? He didn't find David in a place of new anointing. He found David in a place of an old assignment. And so many people are looking at new anointings and neglecting previous assignments. And in life and in the Bible, the anointing of a new thing is always, always, always found in the faithfulness of an old thing. You look at Peter, when Peter was found by Jesus to call him, where was he found? Not in a new anointing party, he was found fishing. When Paul was found to be the greatest apostle we've ever seen on this earth, where was he found? In his old assignment. And his assignment wasn't even of God, he was killing Christians. But because he was faithful here, he could be used there. And God has asked us as people and as a church to be faithful in the here and now. Not the there and then. Faithful to the task at hand. 
and not getting caught up in the thought of tomorrow. So many of us are asking for a new anointing, searching for new anointings, but we're neglecting what's in our hands. You know what I mean? Like God has asked us to take care of what's in our hands and then guess what? The best news is he'll take care of what's in our heart. If you just take care of what you have, if you just stay in your lane, if you just take care with what God has given you, the new thing, the dream, the promise will come. But I promise you, if you don't take care of what you have, that thing will not come. The Bible speaks about you can be trusted with little, you can be trusted with much. The promotion piece, the, promotion, the foundation of promotion in the Bible isn't talent or potential or greatness, it's faithfulness. That's it, just being faithful. In David's story, David was faithful to killing lions and bears with a sling and stone before he ever had the opportunity to kill Goliath. He kind of showed the world, this isn't my first rodeo. And I think a lot of people are looking for the Super Bowl moment being their first rodeo. The Super Bowl doesn't come by just showing up on the food. The Super Bowl, the field, the Super Bowl comes from practice, deliberate practice, faithful practice, faithful work, and by that, as a result, you get this moment. David was faithful to a cave before he had a castle. David was unyielding in his faithfulness. And my question is, is what's in your hand right now? Because the trap is that we get so caught up in what's in our heart that we neglect what's in our hand. We get so caught up in what's to come that we miss out on what is. Or even we get so caught up on what if and that we lose sight of what is. You'll never know what is if you're thinking about what if. You have to focus on, the, the, today is the only day we have, the only day that is promised. Life is a vapor, it's coming and going, and I'm just asking you. And, and here's something I've learned, and I learned this in Fort Lauderdale, um, and it's very unfortunate. Faithfulness rarely consults your feelings. It rarely asks you, do you wanna do this? Do you feel good? How's your temperature? You had some coffee in your system? Like who's a parent in here and you have to wake up before your kids to make their lunch? That does not consult your feelings. But at the end of the day, you're a parent and you gotta do your job. And because of that, your kid is gonna be taken care of and the payoff for that promise is that your kid is raised right and that your kid has food to eat and that your kid is taken care of. Faithfulness isn't always gonna consult your feelings. Serve day won't maybe feel good in the moment, but I promise you at the end, it will be the greatest day of your life. Faithfulness is the platform. The anointing of a new thing is always found in the faithfulness of an old thing. Let's be faithful here now. Let's be faithful in this moment. Let's be faithful to our wife and our, and our husband. Let's be faithful to our kids. We didn't marry the church, we married a spouse. Some of you need to take your wife and your husband on a date. I'm learning that as a pastor. My wife is the only bride I have. And it's crazy that the church is called the bride of Christ. And the Bible says you can be married to one thing. And my spouse is Hannah, not this church. But I'm gonna do everything I can for this church because it's what's in my hands. David, number one, he had unyielding faithfulness. Number two, he had an unexpected process. He had a very unexpected process. Amen. Talk about it. David was given a promise at 17 and didn't receive it. The payoff did not come until 37. How many of you have ever noticed that you get a promise and then in the promise it's like, oh, well, it's not what I expected? Yeah. Or it's not when I expected? Or even better, it's not how I expected? Or maybe even it's not why I expected. Life is a bunch of just unexpected things that come on your, your plate. Life is an unexpected process, and David sees it here. David went through this unexpected process where he's given a, a kingdom. He said, you're gonna be a king, and it didn't happen overnight. Like God didn't use a microwave to give him the kingdom. 
Like it wasn't like a snap and upload. Hey, snap, you're the king, upload, I'll share it to the world. It's kind of what today's generation looked like, you know, the selfie generation. Like we can take a picture and share it to the world in a matter of minutes, maybe even seconds. And David was taken through this unexpected process that looks a lot like photography. But the photography that I'm speaking about isn't the snap and upload photography. It's not even the like Polaroid photography, like the outcast, shake it. It's not that process. The process David was taken on in the photography world was the process of a darkroom. If you don't know anything about photography, photography in its origin was that you would have to take pictures on a film inside of a camera. You'd have to take the film out of the camera into a dark room in a dark place. And that picture could not be shown in the light until it was developed in the dark. And the thing about a picture, I took photography in high school and pictures could be deemed one of three things. Number one, fully developed. It had to be fully developed in the dark. Number two, overexposed. And what overexposed images look like was the light got in too early. The light that was on it was greater than the light that was in it. That was what it looked like. Number three, underdeveloped. The picture was underdeveloped. It didn't go through the full process. There were nine chemical processes that you have to do to develop a picture. And David was taken through a darkroom process. And why he was taken through the darkroom process is because God is way more concerned about the light that is in you than the light that is on you. And if David had the light on him of owning the kingdom and the light wasn't in him, then it would ruin him. He would be an overexposed image because the light that was on him was greater than the light that was in him. And maybe the reason some of you are in a process is God, because God is developing the light that is in you. And a light on you is coming and a light around you is coming, but God wants to solidify and secure the light that is within you. Because if the light within you is stronger than the light around you or the light on you, nothing can affect you. Nothing can change who you are. You can get a promotion and you're still gonna show up to serve. You can get a high paying job and you're still gonna serve your wife because I have a light in me. This is who I am. When God promotes people, he promotes people through developing their character, not their gift. And we're in a gift associated world where everything is about a gift. Everything's about, I'm creative. And like, I always ask people, what, what have you created? Like you're creative, like in the root word, create. So you, you're a thinker, not a creative. You know what I mean? Like God's gonna take us through these processes where he's gonna develop our character. And David even went so far to go in a darkroom process that he ended up in a cave. Like light could not get in on the cave. And he was escaping for his life later on in 1 Samuel. Saul's trying to kill him. And he runs to a cave, but I love that in the cave is actually where David is seen as the king. David is seen as the king in the cave before he ever had the castle. And the best part about this story is David became a king before he had the opportunity to be a king. And the same dad that neglected him and thought he was unlikely was the first one to show up in the cave saying, I'll follow you wherever you go. How full circle it comes. And some of you might be in a process right now. Some of you might be in this unexpected process that you didn't think, I was talking to one of my best friends the other day. I'm like, how is where you're at? How is New York? And he said, man, it's amazing, but it's not what I expected. And I just sent a simple text, just stay and just hold on. Because I know it's not what I expected, and it's not how it, you, know, you expect it to be or why you expect it to be, but that's why God is an immeasurable God. 
He can exceed our expectations. If you just stay in long enough, the promise that you have will have a payoff. But if we quit in between the gap of the promise and the payoff and we don't trust this unexpected process, we are going to be so discouraged in life. David, in between the promise at 17 and the payoff at 37, was unyielding faithfulness. Number two, it was an unexpected process. Number three, this is encouraging. You can smile a little bit. There was undeniable progress. Undeniable progress. Like so much progress that the brothers who sent him to the field and the dad who sent him to the field, like I said, were the first ones to show up at the cave. When he was running for his life, they said, I've seen the growth in you. I'll follow you wherever you go. 400 men actually showed up that day. It was called his mighty men. They showed up that day. They said, David, we know you're going to be the king. We're going to follow you wherever you go. We have your back. Because there was progress in his life from, second, from 1 Samuel 16 to 2 Samuel chapter 5. There was an undeniable progress. You know progress is a really powerful force. Like progress, realized progress is a very powerful tool. But one of the most destructive tools in our life is unrealized progress. When we don't know how far we've come. When we don't know where we've been. Why do you think workout plans and diet plans tell you to take a picture before you start the diet? So you can realize your progress along the journey. And some of you, you don't know how far you've come. You don't realize how much of an impact you've made on your family and your workplace. Why are there mile markers on the interstate? Not to just show you how far you're going and how far you have, it's also to remind me of how far I've come. And when I start my journey from Jacksonville back to Fort Lauderdale, there's gonna be an interstate, there's gonna be mile markers along the way that say Miami is 260 miles. And then 100 miles later, it's gonna say 160 miles. And then 100 miles later, it's going to say 60 miles. And it's not just showing me of how far I have. It's reminding me of my progress, of how far I've come. Some of you need friends who will be mile markers in your life. And you haven't realized the progress you've made because you have negative influences on your life. And the people who speak over you are just speaking, you have so far to go. You have so far to go. Man, you're so far off. What would it look like if we joined a small group or a serving team? And we just have people around us who can just turn our mind and say, hey, I know you're struggling. You've come 100 miles. I know you're not where you want to be. But guess what? You're not where you used to be. A lot of you need to hear that. You're not where you want to be. The payoff is not here. You're in the process of the promise. But guess what? You have gone so far. You have come a long way. You are stronger than you think you are. You're a better dad than you think you are. You're a better mom than your kids tell you you are. You're a better spouse than anyone gives you credit for. You're a better coworker than your promotion. You have come a long way. I know you're not where you wanna be, but I'm telling you, let me be your, be your mile marker today. You're not where you used to be. You're not where you started. In between the gap of the promise and the payoff, there was unyielding faithfulness. There was an unexpected process. There was undeniable progress. And then David, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, received the payoff. He got the kingdom. The promise was realized. The promise was reality. And he became king of Israel at age 37. 
And I happen to think, what is David's payoff at this moment? Between 17 and 37, what is the process teaching him? The process of the promise was leading him to a payoff. So what is the payoff? And in my mind, the payoff is not about what was promised. And it's not about when it was promised. And it's not about how it was promised. The payoff of the promise is about he who promised. In Hebrews chapter 10, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 10 teaches us what we hold to in this life. We don't hold to what was promised. We don't hold to when it was promised. We don't hold to how it was promised. The thing that we hold fast to, the thing that we cling to, the thing that is unwavering in this life is he who promised. What if this process that you're in is not leading you to a promise, it's leading you to a person? And it's not leading you to trust in what was promised, and it's leading you to trust in he who promised. And it's leading you to Jesus. The greatest thing in this life is not what we have. The number one question all of us have to answer in eternity is not what we were given, but who we responded to, and who we answered to, and who is Lord. The question when we get to heaven is this and this alone. What did you do with Jesus? Who was Lord? The payoff of every promise is not the promise. It's Jesus. And I fear, I'm gonna pull up another scripture, that because many of you have been in the gap, you've been in between the promise and the payoff, you've lost trust in he who promised. You've lost trust in the one that gave you the promise. Because you know, a promise is only as, as good as the giver. And because you feel like the giver hasn't delivered on what he said, you are losing trust in, he who, in, in who he is. But I wanna remind you of a promise that we all have. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 verse eight, it says that we know this. We are confident in this that Jesus Christ, he who promised, is the same in three ways. Yesterday, today, and forever. And it's good news. It's good news. But sometimes the bad news in our mind is the God of today isn't, say, isn't doing what he said he would do. And the God of today is not trustworthy. Why is there racism? Why is there attacks in the Middle East? Why is ISIS here? I, I don't know, I can't answer that. But what I can answer is I can remind you that no matter what you are facing in today, that we have a God of yesterday. And some of you are losing trust in the God of today because you forgot about the God of yesterday. And the God of yesterday created the universe with his breath. And he created the stars with his breath. And he formed humans with his hand. He took Moses through a red sea. He parted a sea where there was no way. And Moses and the Israelites who were in slavery, slavery walked right through it. The God of yesterday was with Daniel in a lion's den when he was supposed to be killed. The God of yesterday brought manna down from heaven to feed the Israelites. The God of yesterday healed leprosy. The God of yesterday healed blind eyes. The God of yesterday walked a woman with an issue of blood in a moment from 12 years of a disease to immediately healed. The God of yesterday got on a cross and he gave up his life for you and I. The God of yesterday didn't just die for our sins, he rose from the grave and he defeated death. 
And the payoff of every promise is reminding us that he who promised is unfailing. He who promised is faithful. He who promised will deliver on what he said. So what I'm here to remind you is that the God of yesterday still lives today. That the God of yesterday who brought Moses through a Red Sea can bring you through your future divorce. The God of yesterday who brought Joshua through the Jordan can bring you through financial trouble. The God of yesterday still lives today. He still reigns. Jesus is still king. He still reigns today, yesterday, forever, on and on. The one who was and is and is to come for he who promised is faithful come on church why don't you stand to your feet some of you need to remember the god of yesterday the god who saved you the god who brought you out of darkness into light the god who brought you out of sin into grace come on why don't you lift your hands why don't you close your eyes sing it out we're gonna worship we're gonna remember who you are thank you for tuning in to today's podcast For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.